Not many convicts consider themselves blessed, but this guy does, and for good reason. He's getting out way early. It's gonna be like being on borrowed time, you know, because I know that I, sh I should still be in prison because the justice system said that I should still be in prison. In 2003, Eric Smallridge of Tallahassee, Florida was found guilty of two counts DUI manslaughter. While driving at twice the legal limit for alcohol, he hit a car carrying Lisa Dixon and Megan Napier, both 20. They died instantly. He got 22 years for the crime, which sounded just about right to Renee Napier, Megan's mom. I felt like our system had served us well and justice had been served. I definitely felt that. But a few years later, a woman came forward and asked the judge to reduce Eric's sentence in half. She claimed Eric was truly sorry for what he'd done and deserved leniency, and the judge obliged, partly because of what she said, but mostly because of who she was. Do you realize what a gift you gave this guy? I do. Renee's 180 began with the single turn of a single phrase. First at sentencing and later in a letter, Renee told Eric she'd forgiven him, even though at the time she hadn't, not really. At trial, Eric had actually been pretty defensive and unapologetic. I could hate him forever, and, and the world would tell me that I have a right to do that. But it's not going to do me any good, and it's not going to do him any good. I would grow old and bitter and angry and hateful. Forgiveness is that important? If you want to heal. I think, in my opinion, forgiveness is the only way to heal. And she says it did heal her, almost as much as it healed him. It was like a burden. It was, it was a, a weight off my chest. I no longer had to hide behind this facade. Following the forgiveness, Eric apologized repeatedly and profusely, in private and public, to the families of both girls. Eventually, Lisa's parents forgave him too, which only inspired Eric to atone even more. Please welcome Eric Smallridge. While still in custody, Eric agreed to speak at high schools with Renee, telling kids, as only they can, the consequences of drinking and driving. Chains, shackles, lost hopes and dreams, broken dreams. They both plan to continue doing this even after Eric's release. I'm going to go to wherever we need to go to spread this message because I don't believe it's about us anymore. And there's going to be healing and there's going to be um, good things from here on out, you know. Yay! <laughs> this week, Eric Smallridge was released from custody into the arms of his parents. His mom, so grateful, she actually hugged the guard first. It's a happy ending that would have never existed without forgiveness. Because of that one powerful word, tonight he is free. And so is she. Steve Hartman, on the road, in Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, I, I can't think of a better way to conclude a video like that than to say today he is free and so is she. I think it's such a powerful picture of what God means to grant to each one of us when we talk about what it means to live truly free in Christ. There is no question. I'm just going to spoil where we're trying to go this morning for you. Forgiveness is freedom, period. Forgiveness is freedom. One of the primary blocks that will keep you and I from experiencing the power of what Jesus did on the cross is unforgiveness. One of the primary things that will keep us from truly living a free life is unforgiveness and bitterness. And so 
I want to take some time this morning just to invest our hearts into what the scripture, the word of God has to say. Because I know that uh, if you're human in here, most of you are, you've been hurt, right? You've been hurt before. And forgiveness is, sounds like a cute, neat, sweet concept until you've actually gone through something really hard and really painful. So we don't take this issue of forgiveness lightly. We lean into it to capture from the heart of God everything that he wants to give to us. And I believe he has things that he wants to impart to you and me this morning about his heart on this issue. He has some really powerful words to say because you and I have been wronged in this life. So what are we going to do with these experiences? What are we going to do with those places of pain in us? We're going to follow the way of Jesus. Look at Colossians chapter 3. We're going to just start in verse 12 this morning. Colossians 3 verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. I love this text just because of where it actually begins. That the capacity and the ability to step into this idea of forgiveness comes from who we are. At the very beginning, it says, put on then as God's chosen one. God's not asking you and I to do anything outside of our identity in him first. And that when you and I root ourselves in the power and the truth of who he is and who he has made you and I to be in him, then we can begin to step into this thing called forgiveness. That's what this text is saying, that we can't begin to connect to God's heart to forgive others if we don't first believe that you and I have been radically forgiven ourselves. It is the foundation for forgiving anyone, for being able to give away or to bless those who are in need of forgiveness, is to first be ones who receive it. Jesus tells this incredible story. It's powerful. It's, in fact, that's your homework, because everybody wants homework when they leave church. But uh, Matthew chapter 18, I want you to read it, but he, Jesus tells this parable, and he says, okay, I want to give you a picture. There's a king, and one of his servants owes him what would be today millions of dollars. And the servant comes to the king and says, I'm, I'm so broken. I can't, there's no way I can repay this. Would you have mercy? And he comes to the king, and the king says, you know what? I'm going to forgive your debt. So the servant turns around and finds one of his servants who owes him money, a few hundred dollars. And he says, lock that man up because he won't pay me back. And the king hears 
about the fact that this servant who had been forgiven this massive debt turns and would not do that small gift for someone else. And he pulls that servant back to him and says, listen to me clearly. I gave you mercy, but you wouldn't extend the same. And because of that, you're going to be locked down, put away until you're able to repay the debt. This issue of forgiveness is so central to the heart of the Father. And he tells this story, Jesus tells this story because he wants to say what it means for you and I to be forgiven has got to set deep down in here because until you and I remember the incredible millions of dollars, if you will, debt that we were relieved or given relief from, then can we only, until we understand that, can we begin to give forgiveness away. See, compassion and mercy are deeply, deeply held traits of the king. And whatever the king is like, that's who you and I are becoming. I'll say that again. Compassion and mercy, that's who our king is. And you and I are becoming like him. And he's calling us into that place. It's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so holding on to unforgiveness and bitterness is counter to all that God is. Counter to what Jesus did on the cross for us. It's counter to the call on our lives. Now listen, no one wants to be bitter. No one, right? If I ask you the question, who in here wants to live with festering emotional wounds inside? No one's raising their hand for that. No one wants to actually be that way. And yet, it happens all the time. There isn't one person who wants to operate in that heart and identity. And so when Jesus asks us to forgive, he isn't just saying, hey, this is something nice to do because I did it for you. He's actually saying in a very deep and profound way, I'm going down to a deeper place in you because I know unforgiveness in you will destroy you. Holding on to hurts and wounds is only going to destroy you. When God asks us or commands us to partner with him, he isn't trying to, uh, he's not like a God with a stick trying to, poke us around like ants. He's actually inviting us into something powerful, something that we're in desperate need of. And he knows that unforgiveness will destroy us. It'll rob our freedom. Hebrews chapter 12 says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. When Jesus asks you and I to forgive, he's loving us and protecting us from decay. The unforgiveness that we carry, I know you've likely heard this, but it's worth saying again. The unforgiveness that we contend to carry in this life is not punishing our transgressor, it's punishing ourselves. 
it's actually destructive or the way the scripture would say it here is it's bringing defilement over us. And listen, while it might feel good in the moment to seek for vengeance for what's been done to us or wish something horrible on the people that have hurt us, it brings decay on the inside. And that's the underlying reason why Jesus is calling us to forgive without number and without count. It's to be able to experience a life of freedom. It's what he says, and Peter comes to him in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21. He says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? By the way, Peter thinks he's being super generous. Seven? And God, in Christ, stands back. Jesus says to him, I don't say seven times, but 77 times. Jesus is changing everything because he knows the one truth. Whatever unforgiveness you're carrying, it isn't changing anything anywhere else. It's decaying you. So what will it take for you to experience the life that I have? Because the truth is the forgiveness I have given to you should purchase for you power, has purchased for you power to overcome, to be able to give it away. And this seven times, by the way, uh, some think it's seven times seven or 490 or 70 times seven or seven, 70. Uh, you know what the truth is? Jesus was saying, hey, no limits. That's what he's trying to say here. And the reason he says that is because it's going to come up in a couple of different ways. Either you're going to have someone that you on the regular have to forgive. Right? Everyone who's ever been married. Amen? Right? Just someone on the regular. You got to just forgive. Live in forgiveness with. Hurt, disappointment, frustration, unmet expectations. But there's also the thing that's been done to you you've experienced, that you go, God, I forgive. I release, I forgive. And then you wake up the next day and you're like burning again. And I think Jesus means you forgive again. And then when you wake up the next day and you're burning, you forgive again. I think that's what Jesus means. It's not just numbers of times, but he's saying there's a spirit and an attitude that we actually are called and meant to carry. Because we can be, if, I think the most important thing is to actually be able to be honest about when we're wronged, right? When we're wronged, it hurts. And when we're talking about being wronged, the first thing that you and I want when we are wronged is what? Justice. You're supposed to want justice, aren't you? Right? When something wrong takes place, every one of us were meant to long for and hope for to have justice. It's not wrong to want justice. In all those many cases where someone has wronged you, that thing is going to rise up, right? Some of the worst kinds of things, those, those really heavy things like abuse and things that take place in our lives, but even those maybe smaller things like where your boss just constantly won't recognize or see you for who you are, the gifts that you carry, right? Or even the offenses we take on 
behalf of someone else, like your child was hurt or harmed in some way, and you have this burning thing in you, wanting to see justice, and you feel angry, really angry, and it's justified. We want to see justice. Maybe you've tried reconciliation and it didn't work, or maybe they tried to repent, or maybe not. Maybe they said something that hasn't worked, and you just feel the weight of it. And it could be anyone at any point or place in life, parents, bosses, kids, friends, feeling betrayal, all of those things. And you know that you lay your head on the pillow at night, and that bitterness is eating at you, and it's not doing you any good. It's killing you on the inside. And you grit your teeth trying to think about what should or how you would process justice in your own mind. And the main reason you can't, low is, uh, can't let go is because justice hasn't been done. And you're feeling there's nothing proportionate about what I'm experiencing or what that person is experiencing and it feels wrong and it isn't fair. And the question is, what do we do with that sense of longing for justice when we've been wronged? And that's the question. So I just want to take a few minutes to go to the scriptures and ask the Lord, what do you and I do when you and I are meant to seek after justice, when we've been wronged or we feel the weight of that, but we know that carrying unforgiveness will only destroy us from the inside. What's that process look like? That's what I want to just spend these last couple of minutes breaking down. Number one, if you find yourself in a place of unforgiveness, you, the first thing you and I have to do is begin to invite God into our pain, Period. We've got to invite God. I don't know um, how you grew up, but for some reason, uh, there was something in my mind that was like, listen, if I've got some issues, then I have a tendency to want to try to get those issues resolved before I go talk to God about them. I want to try to get the things fixed so that I can go talk, have a meaningful conversation with God. Can I just tell you, That's a horrible way to live. There's one healthy way to live. Take it all to the Lord, all the time. And if you've been wronged or you've been hurt, and I guarantee you, you're in here and you can think of something. The first thing we've got to do is just invite God right on into it. God, you come into this place. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. That's what God's in the business of doing. If you find yourself in a place of hurt, wound, disappointment, anger, invite God in because he loves coming into that place. See, the beginning of forgiveness is not God asking you to pretend like the thing that happened didn't happen. That's not what forgiveness is. Sweeping the thing under the rug. Pretending like, ah, I'm good. God took care of me at the cross, so I'm okay. No, he's saying he wants to come in and be near the brokenhearted. Literally invite God to come in and begin to speak to you in that moment. Why? Because God dignifies hurt. God dignifies pain. 
You don't know why, you know how we know God dignifies pain? Because he sent his one and only son to take pain for us and on our behalf. He comes right in to sit with us in it. God knows rejection. God knows sorrow. God knows betrayal. God knows the unjust loss of innocence. God knows the pain of losing a child. God knows what it means to be physically abused. God knows what it means to be misunderstood. God knows what it means to be ridiculed. God knows it all personally. So when you and I have wounds and hurts we invite him into, he is able to sit there in it with us. Not as the distant sky fairy, but as the one who has experienced it himself. And he dignifies it by coming into it. He comes near to the brokenhearted. And when he's there in that place, we take the next step. We say, God, would you give me comfort in my pain? Would you give me comfort? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. God comes to meet us in our pain, bring peace and grace and love. That is something that no one else can give perfectly but him. So we invite God to come into and dignify and experience and be with us in the middle of that pain. And then we say, God, would you begin to give me comfort because no one else can do this perfectly but you. And then we just get to be honest with the Lord. Step three, just confess to God that you're bitter and that you're angry. Share with God the real feeling that you're actually experiencing. Not the one that you took an hour to clean up yourself so that you could have the clean exchange with God. The real thing that's really going on inside of you. Just being gut level honest. God, I can't shake this. This bitterness is really deep in me. I can't get free of it. The person's just moving on with their life and it's eating me up on the inside. Confess. Get it out there before him. And you say, God, I need your help. I can't stop the rage. I don't have the ability to make the thing go away. And I'm asking you, God, to take it away. I'm giving you my heart. I'm giving you my thoughts. I'm giving you my life. If you're the just judge, then I'm coming to you for justice. And that's what we get to do as we step into that with him as we get to begin to trust God's promises by we releasing vengeance and justice to him. Meaning this, when you and I come to forgive someone, we aren't standing there going, ah, it's no big deal. No, we're saying, God, I'm gonna give you the just judge final authority over this in my life. I give this issue, this hurt, this disappointment to you. You and I trust a tailor-made, blood-bought, specific promise from God that he would heal. Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, 
Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Meaning this, every wrong thing ever done to you will be judged. You will get justice for every wrong thing done to you. And justice will be done for every wrong thing that we've ever done. And it happens in one of two ways. Either the broken and deep wrong thing that has been done to you will be atoned for by Jesus on the cross. His pun- he, meaning he took the punishment, by the way, the same punishment that he took from us. Or it will be judged eternally apart from God in hell. Meaning this, the wrong that has been done to you is serious to the Lord. He doesn't scoff at it. He doesn't throw it away. He doesn't tell you to, I just need to get over it. Every injustice will be accounted for either on the shoulders of the Son of God on the cross or in eternity in separation. God meant for us to have the fullness of life. And he promised that he would give it to us. He is the just judge that you and I can trust. He's the one that we can bring our hurts and wounds to. He's the one that you and I can open up our hands and release vengeance and wrath and malice and all of the things that we might, it might feel good to carry internally, the ways that we want to punish people. And God says, you don't have to live that way, trying to punish people for the wrongs. I'll take care of that if you'll trust me because I've done that for you. You've been forgiven, I've been forgiven. And so God asks us to release vengeance to him. So we stop going to that place with all the reminders of what was done to us and we stop savoring the cycle of thought in our head that that thing that comes up and I just say, no, I'm not gonna give, I'm not gonna allow that thought to take precedence in my mind, trying to get back at someone or trying to seek after vengeance I'm going to put that down, God. I'm opening up my hand and I'm giving it over to you. And then we thank Jesus for freedom from having to live in a cycle of bitterness, destroying us and defiling us from the inside out. And by the way, it doesn't mean that we don't have any regard for when we're wrong. Forgiveness doesn't mean pretending that we weren't hurt or excusing or justifying the hurtful thing that was done to us. It doesn't mean that we automatically have to trust whoever hurt us or the offender. It doesn't mean becoming a doormat. And it doesn't mean that there aren't consequences. Is I think the, the power of the, the video that we got to watch at the beginning is the mom still got tears in her eyes. There's still a deep consequence over that man's sin, taking something so precious I can't even honestly imagine. And the sadness of that and the injustice of that and the pain is still there. But she's turned her heart to the Lord and believes in a principle and a truth 
that I'll carry the pain for you and give you freedom if you'll forgive. Forgiveness just means this. I choose not to be the one that's going to punish you. It means I'm not going to be the one that's going to keep a record of wrongs. I'm not going to throw you under the bus and seek revenge and gossip about you to all my friends for all of your faults. I choose to be free from bitterness that would otherwise steal from me. And I release the offense to God and I receive what he has given to me. See, forgiveness is actually the choice to be completely free of the restraints of soul-destroying bitterness. To be free. To say, God, this was wrong, but I'm going to give it to you. Holding on to unforgiveness just aligns us with the enemy and it disconnects us from experiencing the grace of God. And we release forgiveness and we give it away because the king of the universe radically forgave us. He forgave us. And in many ways, the act of forgiveness is actually just an exchange. It's an exchange with God, we're taking our hurt and pain and suffering and we're handing it over, giving it to the Lord. And then we receive God's heart and we get his peace and we get gratitude that our father sees and dignifies and knows all the what's going on inside of us and he's with us in it. If you go back to our text, we go back to verse 12 in Colossians 3, put on as God's chosen ones, meaning, by the way, if you're God's chosen ones, you and I have been radically forgiven, forgiven of sin, forgiven of shortcoming, forgiven of failure, all of those things, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Put these things on, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive Verse 14, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Here's the invitation. That's the invitation. Why is the Lord encouraging, calling, asking us to forgive? Number one, because you and I have been radically forgiven radically forgiven. I've been forgiven so much in my life. But two, it is the pathway. It's the pathway for us to experience a life of freedom and peace in him. If you want more peace and more freedom, it comes with trusting the Lord. It's part of a journey. By the way, forgiveness is a part of the journey for every believer and it's something that we get to grow in and understand of what God has done for us and what we want to begin to give away. Because the Spirit of God is in you. If you have called on the name of Jesus to be made whole and free, given Him your sin and received His life, then you have the Spirit of God alive inside of you that is able to forgive. Because you might say this morning, I can't forgive, Keith. You don't know what was done to me. I can't forgive. And I just say, amen, but the spirit of the living God in you is able. 
It's his forgiveness. Is it not? It's his forgiveness. It's not mine. It's not something I can conjure up on my own. It isn't meant for us with our hard-nosed will to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and say, ah, I'm going to make it. It's going to be okay. No, he's asking us, God, would you have your way in me because I can't do this. I can't do this, but you can. And you're with me. And beloved, that is a life of freedom. That is the life of freedom. Not your life, but mine. It brings real meaning to when the scripture says, I was bought with a price. Therefore, I am not my own, but I belong to him. And he gives me all the fullness of himself. You guys stand with me. Finish this morning. We've got two minutes and we're just going to give our hearts to the Lord here. Lord, we just want to take this moment to just faithfully open our hands to you. Would you just give this two minutes to the Lord? Would you just ask him, Lord, is there any place in me where I'm harboring hurt and unforgiveness? Might be something really big, might just be something small. Doesn't matter the size of the offense. What matters is that we're authentic walking with God and inviting Him in. So would you invite Him right now and just ask Him, Lord, is there any place that I'm harboring unforgiveness, hurt, disappointment? And would you just invite Him to be with you? Lord, we invite you here now. Invite you. And we just want to confess, here's the pain. Here's the hurt. Here's the disappointment. We're just going to give it to you. Confess just means to agree. So we're just agreeing with what you say. This thing that would churn inside of me. I'm just going to give it to you. place you're being mistreated, not being treated fairly. A deep-seated wound that's been festering for years. Just the whole thing, just give it to them. So Lord, we just take this moment to acknowledge our unforgiveness is not changing anything. It's not doing anything. It's not fixing anything. Just tell him that. So instead of holding on to my own heart, Lord, I'm giving it to you. Would you just offer it to him? Here's my heart, God. It's yours. You own it. I put my trust in you. And I release payback. I release vengeance. 
I release payment to you. I give it to you. All justice is yours, Lord. You're the just judge. I'm handing it over. And in exchange, Lord, I receive freedom and peace. I receive freedom. I make the exchange. I forgive and release. And you name the person. I forgive and release them to you. Declare it in your own heart. And I receive in exchange for that your peace. Lord, I pray that you would give us grace to walk in true peace. I pray that you would give us grace to be full of your life and power. We thank you for the freedom that you purchased for us on the cross and we choose to walk in it. We close with this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, who is our Savior and has radically forgiven us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Blessings, guys. Love you all. We'll see you next week.